Welcome to the Breakwater Podcast. Today I am with Jesse Heffernan. Jesse is a man of many traits, including co-owner of Helios Recovery, a recovery coach, consultant, and a person in long-term substance use and mental health recovery. It is his belief that recovery is a process of moving from surviving to thriving as a whole person. Jesse is up next. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you for being here. It's so good to see you. It's good to be here, Hannah. Thank you. Before we dive in, uh, could you just introduce yourself to the listeners? I would love to. My name is Jesse Heffernan. I use he, him, his pronouns. I am a person in long-term substance use and mental health recovery for a little over 21 years. And uh, I am a co-owner, trainer, consultant, Helios Recovery Services, recovery coach professional. And a few months ago, um, went through a course for healing centered engagement. So, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not one big for like last for, for words after my last name, but I'm like, these ones actually mean something to me. That's just not what's expected in this field. So healing centered engagement practitioner. I think that's fun. That's awesome. Tell me a little bit more about that. So healing centered engagement, there was an article written by Dr. Sean Jenright in 2018 about shifting from trauma-informed care to healing-centered engagement. And it, it kind of focuses on this idea of, of a few things. One is his work with, with inner-city youth in Oakland, uh, primarily Black young men, and working with them through their trauma and things like that. One of the, one of the people that he worked with, you know, they, they were so hyper-focused on like, well, what happened to you? What happened to you, right? The trauma-informed care approach, right? And, and this, this one young person just said to him, Hey, listen, I'm more than the worst thing that happened to me. Right. And, and just like when, when people, I think, sit with that, like, especially folks like in recovery or have had trauma or, or anything, like, just imagine, like, I'm more than the worst thing that happened to me. And so from there kind of started this, this idea of, well, what does healing centered engagement look like? How do we move from, you know, even the idea of trauma informed care to, um, you know, asking what happened to you to what's right with you and truly addressing a strength-based approach. So healing-centered engagement looks at, you know, not just trauma being an experience that happens in a vacuum, but there has to be circumstances and environments and systems set up for that trauma to be allowed to happen in the first place. So it addresses those things and that people are part of their own healing process in a communal sense. And part of that is reclaiming identity and agency and all those different aspects, right? So when I read this article in 2018, it like blew my mind. I'm like, healing centered engagement is recovery support services. Like this is this is the thing that for me, you know, and, and at the time I'd been training recovery coaches for about four or five years, and and this just aligned perfectly with that. Um, and I and I've been doing smaller trainings on it myself and workshops for a while now. And then I found out that they had a a course for it, and I went and took the course and and became. Uh, practitioner of healing centered engagement. And again, like 
it's, it's just about it's something that's really valuable to me. And it's something that I see as a framework and an approach that could address a lot of societal issues if it were to be embraced in a lot of different ways. It's, it's really focused on, on folks that work with young people. But again, I think it's got a much broader kind of uh, piece to it that we could use in so many different areas. And I think so much in our society, you know, we focus on always the negatives of, mm-hmm. of things that happened. And so it's just such a cool approach to be able to take that into your work. And I'm assuming your recovery coaching and, mm-hmm. and when you teach your recovery coaches mm-hmm. um, to focus on that, that's really awesome. Um, so going into, you know, you said you're a co-owner of Helios Addiction mm-hmm. and Recovery Services. Tell us a little bit about this organization and um, why you wanted to co-own it. Yeah, so so kind of the like the origin story, if you will, because comic books are a thing. Um, the origin story of Helios Recovery Services, and so I worked for Goodwill Industries um, for about nine years at Harmony Cafe. It was like a it was like a hub in the community and. Um, I was program director overseeing LGBT youth services and primarily the Appleton area. And then also like all the things that came with that. And while I was at Goodwill, um, I had experienced, you know, kind of the, the, the lack of connection between broader recovery uh, services and like the recovery fellowships themselves. And so what I mean by that is like, I knew of hundreds of nonprofits in the area. Right. And then I'd go to recovery fellowship support meetings and, folks would be like, I don't know where to go to get help, right? And then also being a person in recovery, folks would be like, how do I navigate the system? And it was just so difficult. It's still difficult to do at times, right? Like just figuring out where to go. So I I originally proposed to Goodwill, like I said, hey, I want to do this like recovery case management program, set up SMART goals, just walk with people through their journey, but not like in in a sponsor role and not in like a therapeutic role, but there's like this different lane and I had thought that I had created sliced bread, essentially, and Goodwill said, well, why don't, why don't you look into that a little bit? And I said, there's no way anyone else is doing this. And sure enough, there, were, there was this whole world of recovery coaching services and peer services that existed. And, and so I, I, I did a lot of research and, and kind of looked at like who was doing what in the field. And, and there were some great models out there. We've got you know, folks in, in Minnesota with what they're doing at the time and uh, McShin Foundation. And then I landed on CCAR or the Connecticut Community for Addiction Recovery. And the reason I chose that specific curriculum and training to go to is because I had seen their name pop up in a number of like SAMHSA articles and other articles across the country. And they seem to have been identified as the leader in the recovery coach space, if you will. So Goodwill was incredible in the way that they supported their employees and said, all right, we're going to send you out to Connecticut to become a coach and to become a trainer of coaches and then just bring it back and we'll see what we can do with it. Right. So, I mean, I, that was in June of 2014. It's coming up on that many years already. Um, and it, it was in September of that year that I, that I held my first recovery coach training. Right. And, it, and I just, you know, again, love doing that. I, I love the curriculum. It aligns with a lot of my own values and, and what I think we can do to help identify caps and, and all these different things. And then uh, towards the end of 2015, Goodwill said that that Harmony Cafe was closing. Right. And, you know, so there was this discussion, you know, with with my wife and I. And, and we just kind of said, like, 
where do we go from here, right? And, and looking at different jobs in the field and looking at all these areas, but none of them at the time really identified the things that we knew were important, like training people in recovery, like building, you know, this, this structure, right? And, and so the really like the first kind of business plan idea I had was actually doing one-on-one -on -one coaching, but it was an available service and it was difficult, you know, to kind of create an income based off of that. And what I, what I did is I, I kind of pivoted pretty quickly into the training and consulting space. And, and so it was in actually um, just two days ago, it was the seven year anniversary of Helios Recovery Services, right? Uh, we identified May the 4th because that's an international holiday, maybe a, a universal holiday, intergalactic holiday as the day just to help make things easier. Um, so I, you know, I got an office at, at Step Industries or Apricity, um, and I was, hang, it was there, you know, and, and started just doing a ton of training and workshops and consulting and, and all this different stuff. And, um, you know, it was, it was, again, it was like looking at all these different things and the stuff that I've been a part of from like a community level and from a recovery services level, like there's just been gaps. There's, there was just all this stuff that we knew that, that needed to be filled in and, and, and you know, identify new leaders in the recovery space. And um, so that's really what we've focused on is like, how do we find leaders and build them and support them and ignite them, if you will, to go out and, and do incredible things. And one of the things I carry with me from, from my Harmony Cafe days is that I would be asked to go and speak in like colleges a lot, like LGBT 101 kind of stuff with, with college students, right? Social workers and, and future therapists and things like that. And what I always loved about that is like, I knew that these folks were gonna go on to influence hundreds of people. So I took it really seriously of like, I need to steward as much good information into my presentations as possible. And like, kind of, you know, really hope that that they're gonna take this to heart and plant some seeds. And I think the same thing is true of, of recovery support services and training and, and consulting with Helios is like, we're really just trying to plant seeds of different frameworks like healing centered engagement, which is like one of our five core elements that we identify. And um, hopefully that 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 spreads and, and, and we can create some future leaders and, and people to step into their communities to do more. Awesome. Can you um, expand on those on your five core elements? Yeah. So our, our for Helios, it's servant leadership, emotional intelligence, cultural humility, healing centered engagement and mindfulness. And, and those are just things that I've identified over the years as like kind of foundational pieces. Um, I, I think that in recovery, whatever, whatever pathway you're going to go, whatever career you're going to go in, whatever you're going to do. So like, you know, I, I learned a lot about and practiced a lot of servant leadership, working with goodwill and, and just like the, the, the tenets of all of that and serving people first. And like when the least of society is, um, served that everyone is lifted right and it kind of flips this this hierarchical model on its head um, of like it's not a top-down approach it's a bottom-up approach right um, emotional intelligence and, and, and emotional maturity if you will and again that's just really like especially you know as folks become aware of and in tune with their emotional kind of capacity and then learning what that means to navigate the world with those things, right? So, so how do you regulate that? And, and then how do you understand where other folks are at? And I think it's really instilling a deeper sense of empathy and compassion and connection with folks um, through the relationship you have with your own emotions. Um, cultural humility. So understanding that like, you know, it's a lifelong process of understanding um, 
power, privilege, the social context that it has, social inequities, social injustices, right? Um, knowing that being a white cisgender male, that, that I am afforded a lot of privilege and that I need to be really aware of that. It, it's kind of like great power, great responsibility and know when it's, when it's my turn to talk, know when it's my turn to step back, know when it's my turn to support, know when it's my turn to like maybe kick a door open and then let other folks in before me, right? And, and so I think it's just really like, again, learning that these, th- these five things are really interconnected with each other. Um, just kind of learn when to do that and step in and step out. And healing centered engagement, of course, we talked about. And then the mindfulness piece is just, to me, that's, that's kind of the glue between all of them, right? Just being aware of it, right? Just taking the time to like slow down and be like, okay, where, where am I in all the space? What is my space? Um, you know, and, and it's, and it's interesting, like in a for-profit business, you know, there's a little bit different of a viewpoint because, you know, like growing up nonprofit, it was really interesting switching to the for-profit world. Um, and, you know, like, again, just really trying to be mindful of like, what I'm doing, where I'm doing it, and and then also introduce that to folks as they come through our trainings and things like that. I just love how much you expand on creating a whole person, I would say. I was mm-hmm. able to go through emotional CPR. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, amazing. Yeah. I've received Riggers and Lynn. Yep. Um, we're on a podcast actually not too long ago, yeah. and we were able to walk through this, through these things. And I just... I mean, it's just so important to bring these aspects mm-hmm. that just in general, right? People don't maybe think of or talk about it. And to bring this into mm-hmm. your organization. Um, Karen and Lynn are just, incredible. Like just amazing. So I have incredible. so much respect. And um, they're just, they're just trailed their leaders in this, bringing this um, emotional CPR and, yeah, I just applaud everything they're doing and try to, again, like that's part of the thing, right? Like when I see frameworks like that, like what can I do with my platform to promote things like that anywhere and everywhere that I can, right? Because it's all connected, right? We don't have to create competition when we're just trying to help people, you know? Yeah, that's a good point. And I mean, maybe that's a plug for our listeners to go back and listen to their podcast because I was able to learn so much mm-hmm. from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we talked a little bit about this, but what really made you want to bring this to our area? There's nothing like Helios being able to, you know, take what you're doing and, and warp in these, these core elements that you just talked about. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and again, kind of going back to the recovery coach thing, like, at the time when I first went through it, I was just so passionate and driven to, to just get people trained. And, and my, my first instinct was like, well, I'm just going to train so many people flood the market and that, that the, that'll have to be noticed. Right. Which is great, but I didn't have a lot of foresight as to like where those coaches would land with, cause they wanted jobs and they wanted to like, you know, get paid for what they're doing. So again, it was just like getting it out there and, and I think that's because I would I would go to like I've been to so many of these like let's get all the providers together in the counties and the treatments and like I remember there was this one meeting in particular that I won't throw under the bus, but it was just like this self congratulatory meeting of all the providers like seeing how good we're doing, 
and patting themselves on the back. And then you'd have some family members who are like, well, my, my loved one's experience with your treatment wasn't like that at all, right? And, and other people are like, well, my, my kid's not here to, to be able to, to, to experience any of this, right? And, and then seeing the providers just kind of like, oh, well, I'm sorry. And that was it, right? So it was at that point that I said, I'm, I'm going to stop going to those meetings because they're useless, right? Like just to hear people sit around and like talk about how great they're doing when that's not true, right? And, and there's been some really great um, articles out there lately about like how coerced treatment is highly ineffective, right? We know that voluntary treatment, we know that voluntary recovery support services have long lasting kind of effects. And so to me, the recovery coach and the peer process is, is voluntary and folks come and seek that out and they want to be a part of that. And they're truly met where they're at and walked with, not dragged through the process. Right. And so, you know, Helios really kind of like just turned into this, this consulting and, and me being a content expert in recovery support services. And there was, there was this little bit of this hiatus in, in Helios, if you will, um, I went and I worked as the program director for one of the peer run respites in Wisconsin at Iris Place for a few months, I think like six, seven months. And then I went to be a uh, the national empowerment and outreach coordinator for Faces and Voices of Recovery for several months. And I got to really learn about the landscape and work with recovery organizations across the country and learn more about everything from the, the federal legislative process and, and, and how that impacts and then be able to see it all the way down to the grassroots group, right? And so that was that was really powerful too. And then so when you know things didn't work out, um, and then rebooted Helios back in, in 2018, um, I was able to take all that knowledge and all that stuff and bring it back in into trying to help communities more and, and do more training and consulting and things like that. So it's kind of this mixed bag, and I, I would say like you know there's not a lot. I, I can think of like a handful of like consultants in this area, um, by area, I mean like this field, um, that do this kind of work. Um, it's tough at times, right. Being like an independent consultant and contractor, it's, uh, it's looking for gigs, but also like knowing that a lot of doors open. Um, so it's, it's kind of a both and, but I love doing it. Right. I just love being in this space. Um, I love getting to see all the different groups doing what they're doing. And, and I'm incredibly grateful and blessed to be, able to do this for a living, you know, like this is, this is cool. This is fun. Right. Yeah. There's just something to me and I've been able to learn through this position so much more about peer support and recovery coaches. And I just love when you say, you know, seeing a person as a whole and being able to walk with them. Um, I mean, it Mm -hmm. just, it's so powerful when you have people with lived experience who, you know, are Mm -hmm. able to lead other people. Yeah. And, and, and I think part of it is like expanding our idea of lived experience. And so like the recovery coach training says like, you know, anyone can be a coach, anyone that wants to remove barriers, anyone that wants to help people find recovery supports. And, the, and, and there's, there's this like spectrum of belief system about it. Like, well, it should be people with like lived experience that, that you know, that substance use disorder, mental health issues. But I would argue like, well, family members have lived experience in their own recovery process and their own pain. And, and I would say anyone like that comes into this field, like has something to give, something to offer. Right. And, and so I'm not about like 
being exclusive mm-hmm. in the club, like, like you need X amount of trauma or aces to qualify to be like yeah. a peer or a coach or whatever. Cause, cause that's the kind of mentality that we've seen in recovery fellowships. Like I've spilt more beer on my tie than you drank. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and it, and it ostracizes people. So, so there, there can be a lot of like internal processes, even within recovery support services field that like other people. And, and I'd say like, that's, that's really hurt and harmed the movement for a lot of purposes. Um, where the real problems are, I think is, is, you know, um, folks that, that, that continue to be in these positions of making decisions for us and about us and kind of like, again, like pat themselves on the back for, for, for breadcrumbs that are provided and, and sometimes come across like trauma tourists, you know, and, and I'm just, this week, especially like, I'm just, I'm really tired of it. So you caught me at a, I'm really fiery about it this week. So I don't want to say anything that's going to get anyone fired though. I mean, you just make a really good point, right? It's just, and we talk about it so much in our work, especially our work with communities, you know, breakwater Mm -hmm. is a part of the Winnebago County health department. And sometimes the health department isn't the one that needs to say the things, right? We need to be able Mm -hmm. to raise up Mm -hmm. our community and so much of our work when we're in community is being able to have those people with whatever experience that they're going through be the ones that speak and the ones that can say this is what i need because from an outside Mm -hmm. perspective you know we don't know what necessarily our community exactly needs right so so there's a there's a ongoing and when we talk about power and privilege context, especially right where there's an ongoing paternalization of people with substance use disorder and mental health and in this othering and this pitying and this like, well, we know what's best for you and we can come in and change. And it, and it happens in all different kinds of ways, right? Like, like folks that, that have money and means and, and, and stuff like that will go to communities that don't and be like, well, we got you, we can figure it out for you. Right. And it, and it very rarely, takes traction and works for a long period of time. Right. And, and so like, I think, I think where we're at is like this, this precipice of change, similar to what we've seen with like AIDS, HIV, and what we saw with cancer and stuff like that. Like all those things were, were highly um, stigmatized and seen as negative and bad and horrible. And the people that have those things are bad, horrible. And, and now there's like entire walks and movements for those things. Right. And, but the, the problem with, substance use disorder, and I'll just kind of stay there is like, you know, we've, we've got like this, we had like this perfect storm of like, it got viewed as a, as a criminal punitive issue because of the drug war. And then there was like horrible iatrogenic, you know, um, psychiatric care of, of treating people in institutions with substance use disorder. And then, you know, to our, you know, to our own kind of fault, you know, like we, we, it started out like, you know, with super secret fight clubs and basements because autonomy was needed or anonymity was needed, but that anonymity also continued to perpetuate this otherness, right? And so it's going to take a while for those things to change. But as it changes, there's going to be, I think, more embracing of people with substance use disorder and, and, and less criminalizing of a medical issue, which still perplexes me a lot of the times. Yeah. I I definitely agree. And I think that that can lead into my next question is that, 
you know, you've been able to show up to many events within the last couple of weeks. Um, you were you were just a part of, um, you know, Shano Recovery Walk and the Wisconsin Recovery Alignment mm-hmm. Day in Madison. Mm-hmm. Um, can you mm-hmm. just share a little bit of those events and, and the power of recovery in our community with the broader community coming together? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, we're, we're really starting to get you know, well, one COVID, right. And so like events went on hiatus for a little bit. And now that they're back out there, we, I think people really are, are, are yearning for that, that connection in that community. Again, there was a lot of, there's a lot of pain and a lot of hurt that happened throughout the last couple of years for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, we saw overdoses and, and suicide completions rise and mental health issues rise. And, but we also saw like, communities and organizations transform to meet the needs of people more creatively. And, and so like, you know, unfortunately pain breeds innovation a lot of times. Um, and hopefully we, we learn from that and we have kind of some hybrid pieces now. And so now that folks are getting back out there, yeah, I mean, there was like, I was driving to Shano, we, we did a, a screening of tipping the pain scale, which is an awesome documentary. And, and then we, there was a walk the next day and I remember driving into Shano and the population's like 9,400 something. And there was like 200 people at this walk. And I'm like, oh, that's like a 10th of the population. <laughs> and, and so what it, what it did was it like, I think it really showed again, people want this, they want to come out, they want to be seen, they want to be heard. Um, and then, yeah, we did recovery alignment day. It was the second one. Um, so it was Helios and then the Wisconsin recovery advocacy project. Um, and of course, partnered with like, we had like 40 some organizations, we had 200 people in the Capitol, we had legislators speak, we had uh, Ryan Hampton come in and speak, uh, a national advocacy uh, leader. Um, and and so what we were trying to do, and, and that's more of like that legislative advocacy piece is show like, people in recovery vote, right? Like, and and there was some work that was done in Nevada, there's actually a recovery political action campaign that shows that that individuals are actually willing to like switch parties if they find out a candidate is, is in support of like certain recovery focused measures. Right. And so it's election season, right? We wanted, we wanted all those legislators there and the governor and the Lieutenant governor and the attorney general to know like people vote recovery. Right. And it's not again, like removing this, this paternalization and this like, pity aspect into like, no, we actually have a large abundance of numbers. Like if you, if you think about it, like there's ballpark 21 million people in recovery, right. Um, in the country that could, that could move an entire vote, right. That could move a lot of stuff if it needed to. Right. Um, and so, you know, we, we estimate like 300,000 maybe in Wisconsin, right. That could move an entire thing. If, if we, if we really focused on all of that, right. So that's what we're trying to do is again, with all these efforts and all these things is like show that recovery is here, recovery, people in recovery um, have value. They have purpose. They can thrive. They can live like, you know, they, they pay taxes, they do all these things. And, and, and it's, and, and we deserve, and we need to be, um, have access to, to all the things everyone else does. Right. And, and not just seen as like, criminals and addicts and junkies like it's, it's past that now it's time to grow up past Humanized, that. for sure and we've just yeah. been 
I mean, I think in my last four or five podcasts that that I did is just every single time we we've come around to humanizing recovery is is what we've been saying. And I just think of I go back to the We Heart You event because that's what I was a part of, and I just how mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just greatly powerful that was for people to come together and the community came together that day and were able to hear stories and show up and listen mm-hmm. and regardless of who you are or what space you came from, everybody showed up for this one purpose and listened and cared. And so I think, you know, through what just happened in Oshkosh and what, you know, you just did in Madison and in Shano and that the more that we're able to host these events and the more that we're able to, you know, keep spreading and humanizing recovery and showing up and, you know, saying recovery is here and we're people and we matter, the more mm-hmm. people will begin to understand that. Right. And, and so like, let's take that humanizing thing that you're talking about, because what's the other side of that is, is people have been dehumanized and have been objectified. And, and we know that there's a lot of overlap and intersectionality that people experience, not just based on their substance use disorder or mental health, but gender, race, socioeconomic status and all those factors, right? That that people have been dehumanized and have become numbers and have become, you know, these these kind of like topics of like, well, we just need to like ignore that or or get them out of here or not in my backyard. And and what that means speaks to me of is like this this like lack of compassion and this lack of of wanting to truly see environments grow, you know, and so when, whenever I talk with folks, I'm like, you know, where are we landing on this, right? Like, like, what does your program do? Does it, does it perpetuate dehumanizing and objectifying? Does it perpetuate outdated, you know, like tough on crime, lock them up kind of stuff, you know? Um, and, and, and I think those are some of the questions. So yeah, when we, when we, I think we really like the idea of calling substance use a, a medical issue. We really like the idea of humanizing people until they break the law, right? Until they do something that agitates my feelings, until they do something that that is like disruptive to the status quo, then, then it's better and easier to lock them up. Then it's better and easier to say like, mm, maybe some time in jail will help you understand that you just can't act like this out here, right? So we're, again, we're at this place where it's like, you got to pick, you know, like, so yeah, why not? Um, I'm on the fence about drug courts, honestly, right? Should drug courts be determining the best path for someone with a medical issue? Should a judge who doesn't have a medical degree be determining those things, right? Does, does the, the, the long-term structure really support the the effectiveness of drug courts because they work while people are in them right they're great while people are in them but then what happens afterwards right so so i would say like let's on like does does drug courts perpetuate drug war and arresting people and viewing it continuously in a punitive lens and i know that there was just like a drug court conference here in wisconsin and i was like hmm like the like, where does that really fall? And I'd love to talk to people about it because I I think it's I think it's worth having an in depth discussion about. Like, does this 
truly work? Is this really where we want to like park our cars in this garage? Mm-hmm. You know, moving on to this question that I, we've covered this a lot, but I think, you know, you believe that recovery is a process of moving from surviving to thriving as a whole person. Mm-hmm. And you're really working to flip the script. And we've just talked about this, our entire podcast, but why is it so important for the community to view recovery as thriving? I think, you know, for me, like that, that whole thriving piece, you know, really, again, it's, it's part of that humanizing. It's part of seeing someone as a whole person. It's, it's, it's seeing them um, as contributors and parts of society rather than like other than or different than. Um, And, and I think some good examples, like when we look at the, LGBTQ plus movement, right? And the human rights campaign and the work that they've done. So there are no companies, huge companies, right? That will change internal policy, um, insurance policies and everything just to get a good rating from the HRC, right? From the human rights campaign. And they'll put that in their in their re- uh, recruitment efforts to, to find talent across the country, right? Whereas 10, 15 years ago, no one would have even talked about that, right? No one even like, oh, no, we can't do that. And I think Kimberly Clark is a really good example. I mean, they've had an LGBTQ um, employee resource group for years. And it's one of the groups that we worked with at Harmony Cafe for a long time. And so they they looked at it like, oh, this isn't a deficit. We're going to get past this idea that someone's sexual orientation or gender identity is is, is negative in any way, right? We're going to get past this idea and, and catch up, you know, with, with the century and and say like this is actually something that makes people unique and beautiful and amazing we're going to embrace that and through doing so they've actually got some really amazing talent and so i think the same thing applies here as well like you know someone with a substance use disorder beautiful amazing incredible get them the help that they need and they can thrive right and they can bring when when we see folks you know get into recovery and and get the supports that they need and they, they turn into folks that are extremely loyal, um, hardworking, and they can do all those things, right? They can, they, they, they build beautiful things, right? And they go on to help other people too. So I think, you know, switching that from like, you know, just, just surviving to, to thriving and, and that, they're, that, that folks are everywhere, right? I think is really going to be kind of what helps move that, that, that whole uh, dynamic of, paternalization and criminalization to like, oh, we, we really need to meet folks where they're at and see that they're a part of all of this. Yeah, thank you. I just, I love that surviving to thriving piece of things. It's beautiful. Jesse, is there any words that you can leave our listeners with the importance of supporting people who use substances and those in recovery? There's a lot of things. <laughs> I, I think um, so. So all the stuff I said, and it's extremely difficult. I think to to maybe be that person's, especially if it's a loved one, family member, child, to like to see them in their their midst of pain, right? And 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 to be hurt by them because there's a lot of vulnerability and a lot of love, right? And so like one of the things that we say in recovery coaching is like, don't coach your family. You're just too close. 
right? But find someone who can, right? Get them connected. Um, I, I've thrown out labels. I've thrown out tough love. I've thrown out enabling. Um, I've thrown all those things out. I think that there's really like chances for us to build human connection through boundaries, right? I think there's chances to like do those things. I think that there's opportunities for us to relearn how to connect with someone when they're in the midst of their pain. And that like, even if people are using substances, you know what, they're still people, right? Medicated assisted recovery, they're still people, right? Some of the biggest resistance when I talk about like, you know, folks on methadone, suboxone and things like that, like, you know, you've got folks that'll be like, well, that's, that's not recovery as they drink like seven monster energy drinks and hit their vape pen 12 times and they talk about abstinence, right? And I'm like, oh, well, what abstinence, right? So, so I'd say like one for the recovery community, stop ostracizing people and, and, and get off the soapbox, right? Multiple pathways are necessary. Um, there was a study by the Recovery Research Institute, 46% of people in recovery did not get there through treatment, through recovery fellowships or for, through peer services. So almost half, but we never hear about those folks because they're not there like proselytizing to everyone else how they did it without help, right? So so I think that there's one kind of like, you know, um, deflating this overinflated self-importance about which pathway is right and which one isn't when we've got people dying. So that, that needs to go. Um, the self-righteousness of it all needs to go. I think that um, when it comes to the systems that we have, like we really need to readdress how we're how we're working with folks and how much we're still stigmatizing and dehumanizing and objecting fine individuals and, and how we can how we can undo that kind of stuff. And I think that's going to involve a lot of systems like treatment and prison, like really admitting that that it hasn't been super effective and that it needs to reassess how it's being done. Right. There was a friend of mine worked in DHS in the state and he said at one point that that 28 day treatments had a 30% completion rate, right? Any other health industry, it would be completely flipped on its head and changed if there was a 30% completion rate, right? But because we haven't thought past it, we haven't changed it. And so those again are things that we, there's so many areas to unpack and redo different and better and then to, to folks, you know, that are still struggling and, and things like that, I think the most important thing to say to them is that they're matter, they matter, they're needed and that they're loved, right? And, and not, not not putting like a but dot dot afterwards, right? Not saying except when mm-hmm. you do this, right? Mm-hmm. Like just hard stop, mm-hmm. you're, you matter, you're needed and you're loved. What do you need, right? What can I do for you today? Mm-hmm. And just hold space with the person. Um, so I, I think those are those are some of the biggest pieces, and and let's let's get our folks in recovery. Like, you know, like it doesn't matter the time period. Like, let's start building them up early in recovery, and that to me is like some of those core elements. Like, let's start getting that that those things very quickly um, to build them up and and find their strength and their agency and their sense of being and the and who they can be, um, so that they have long term recovery supports. Thank you, Jesse. I just appreciate everything you've been doing, everything you've been trying to work through to 
you know, flip the script. And for our listeners who really resonate with this or want to learn more about Helio's recovery, we will put that in our nice. show notes and connect you to Jesse. Uh, thank you again for being Thanks here. Thanks a lot, Hannah. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I'm glad we could make this work out today. This is great.